Good morning. It's uh, really good to be back with you again. Uh, it has been a long time. It's been exactly three months and nine days since I had the honor and pleasure to be with you on a Sunday morning and preach the Word of God. So I have missed you a lot. I have missed this too. Oh boy, I wish all of you could be here with the few of us who are here this morning to just hear the worship flowing in this room. Uh, I know we all want that one day, and uh, man, it just was really good to be here this morning and be part of that. I'd also like to say a special welcome to those of you who have moved to Squamish or joined the Rock Church over the last three months, uh, three and a half months. I know there are a number of you uh, young couples and individuals, and then there's a number of you across British Columbia who've been joining us uh, online on Sunday mornings. Uh, Really looking forward, Janice and I are, to meeting a number of you. Uh, in the next few months and getting to know who you are. We've been hearing about you and the fact that many of you have already joined some of our missional community groups, which is awesome. So, sabbatical. (laughs) Uh, Interesting thing. Uh, Some of you might be wondering uh, that back in January, there wasn't really a lot of announcement going on about, oh, Glenn's going to take a a sabbatical and it's going to happen in a few weeks. And if you were wondering that, you were right. It actually happened more or less all of a sudden. Um, Normally, sabbaticals would happen every seven or so years. Uh, We are now 12 and a half years in as a church plant here in Squamish, and I have not had the opportunity to take one. Um, But the reality is, uh, back in mid-January, and just to be completely honest, uh, some of you already know this, but I wanted to share this with you as a church this morning. Uh, I reached out to the elders in mid-January asking for some time because uh, really this was as much a stress leave due to burnout as it was a sabbatical. So there's that. I want to reflect just for a second. All of us know that last year was a pretty hard year, right? It was a very difficult year uh, for all of us in this community and in the world related to, of course, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, for me personally, there were some added issues last year that, that uh, made it even more challenging. Uh, and again, most of us went through that together, but uh, the reality is uh, I, I personally was on the front line of being with a number of families who uh, had some tragic losses of life last year. We went through that with them as a church. Um, we also went through that with our community, and it was really, really difficult. And of course, in the midst of that, COVID-19 hits us in March of 2020, and then we're immediately rushing to do online church and pre-recording. We had a bit of a respite mid-summer where we could gather like 30 of us here, and then that was taken away again last fall. And uh, yeah, as the year went on, um, uh, well, we had another tragic death at the beginning of December, and then just getting through Christmas and so forth um, was really, really hard. And I tell you all that because I, I want to tell you a little bit uh, about that so you'll understand why the Lord put this message today on my heart. But first, I want to thank a number of people. Uh, I want to thank the elders of our church and their wives for stepping up, for, for first of all, granting a sabbatical. I want to thank you so much, every one of you, for what you've done during this period. I thank everyone who's in this room and those who have been here on Sunday mornings and have been leading us uh, in worship and, and in, in word and, and, and also like technology. It's, it's, it's the faithful group that have been here all three months 
And I just want to thank all of you so much for how you have stepped up and done that. But really, I, I want to make one big thank you to this fellow right over here, uh, Rudy. Uh, I, I think he was the most surprised back in late January to hear that I was taking three months off. Amen? Just, just a little surprised, right? And, uh, and, and so forth. I mean, I, Rudy, I just want to thank you, buddy. You stepped up. Yeah, you, you uh, stepped up to organize all of the Sunday gatherings, the worship, a number of other things that were going on. And then throughout the month of April, uh, five weeks, I think, in total of just awesome preaching and messages. So thanks so much, buddy. I, I really appreciate that. So I, again, I've never had a sabbatical before. So actually, the truth is I had no idea what to expect or, or what to do, <laughs> other than the fact that I needed to do nothing and rest. Um, on top of that, I was entering this uh, sabbatical mentally, physically, and emotionally done. And so I reached out to a biblical counselor, a good friend, someone who I've recommended to other people in our church before to counsel them. And initially, we started talking to each other in January, and it was primarily grief counseling. Um, I'd never, I hadn't had the opportunity to spend time in that. And uh, as some of you know really well, that's really needed. And then it morphed into, he's also a counselor for pastors who are not only just struggling, but also on sabbatical. And he laid out a really amazing three-phase plan for me during that sabbatical, which was phase one was to be rest and recovery. Amen. And then phase two was to be all about your identity and your calling. So like praying and reading and, and, and just asking God to remind me, who, who am I? Who is this guy? as your son, as your son. Who am I in Christ Jesus? Oh, that's super valuable. And then lastly, the phase is called re-engage. And so some of you may have already seen the screen that we put up, and that's the sermon title for today is re-engage. And so after 60 days, actually the, the sabbatical was supposed to only be 60 days long, but after 30 days, along with the uh, my counselor, I realized, you know, I, I need to talk to the elders. I, I need more time. I mean, after 30 days, I, I still was waking up in the morning and, uh, quite frankly, uh, Janice will tell you, just almost unable to function. And so I asked for some more time, and the elders, of course, granted it, which is amazing. And so it took about six weeks uh, before I could really lean into this identity and calling aspect, uh, read a bunch of books and, and got audibles of those books. I think I walked, walked the golf course trail 90 times in 90 days. And that's because some days I walked it twice and listening to these books over and over, hearing from the Lord, being spoken to Him by... And, and I, I just want to encourage you that that's, that has led me to this text for today. That happened six, seven weeks ago where he said, Glenn, th this... Take this to the church when you come back. This is for you too, Glenn, but this is for the rock. And I, I hope that uh, this will encourage you today. I also uh, believe that over the next several months, many of the things that I've heard and learned from the Holy Spirit in the past six weeks especially, I will hope to share with you in word and in life. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to read for you uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Please open a Bible, open an app, be there today in this word with me. Uh, I, we were praying here earlier this morning, and as people were praying, and we were, quite frankly, praying in the Spirit, it was beautiful, and it just dawned on me, and, and, and I didn't put this in my notes, but I'll say it to you right now. Every single word that we read today is literally from the lips of Jesus Christ. Every word. 
are literally from his lips, from his heart, I believe, to, yes, the church in Ephesus. But I assure you, these words are for us here today. Read with me, verses 1 to 7 in chapter 2 of Revelation. Jesus tells John to write these words. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray one more time. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you, thank you that we have your word spoken, all of it, written, recorded, and we thank you that we can hear it. Lord Jesus, we want to hear from you today. So Holy Spirit, would you help us? Help us to to stay focused to what Jesus is saying here. Speak to our hearts. Use the words that you've given to me or change them right now so that we will truly understand what was on your heart, Jesus, when you spoke these words. And I pray these things in your worthy name. Amen. So, uh, since it's Mother's Day, I'd like to tell you a little story about my mom. Her name was Eunice Florence Davies. Uh, she passed away five years ago. She is dearly missed by my sister Paula and myself. Uh, my memories of my mom are virtually 100% awesome. Uh, when she was younger especially, but really into her midlife, uh, she was a powerhouse of a woman. She was the life of every situation, not just every party. M- my mother would, would find every opportunity possible. Hear me, Paula, if you're watching, you'll agree. Every opportunity possible to bake a cake and have a party or have a celebration. That's, that's, that's who she was. In fact, I believe we were the only kids in our neighborhood who on the last day of grade school, Every year, we'd go to school dressed up. All of our friends would look at us and go, Glenn, where's your T-shirt? You look like a, I won't use the word, you look, whatever. And, and we were all dressed up. Why? Because we had to come home after our last day of grade school, one through eight, and even into high school, to have a graduation party with Eunice and ourselves. It was incredibly awesome. Many years later, uh, Janice and I were back in Toronto on a a business trip. I was in business at that time. We were back on a business trip. And my mother decided she had a box of things upstairs in my, what was my bedroom when I grew up at this house. 
uh, in Toronto, and she said, yeah, I want you to go through it, and that maybe uh, after you've gone through it, you and Janice will want to pick some of these things and, you know, ship them back or take them back to BC with you. And I'm like, oh, okay, immediately I know this is something that Janice is not going to be in favor of. So we open up the box, and honestly, she had my Cub Scout shirts, my Boy Scout shirts with all the badges on them and, the, you know, the little tie thing or whatever. She had hockey jerseys. She had all my trophies from my hockey years. There weren't that many, but there were a few good ones. And then, this is the part that I couldn't believe. She had every single one of my report cards. From grade one to grade 13. We had grade 13 back in the day in Ontario. And I was like, oh dear. <laughs> you know, we started opening them and reading them. And I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, for the first 10 years of school, you know, to grade 10, I was a pretty good student. I'm not bragging, but I, I got a lot of A's and, you know, some B's and not too many worse than that. And, and, and then there were the comments, though, right? Now, I don't know how you feel about grade lettering today. You know, I actually wasn't harmed by it, so I think it was pretty good. Actually, it was the comments that were... And the teachers just felt like even though you got a B, they would always say something. And here's the thing, Janice and I are reading it, and I just remember this one thing about the comments, especially as my grades started to wane, you know, in grade 11, grade 12, grade 13. I don't really know why they started, okay, I do, girls, you know, and, and, and music and other things. But the comments had a thread. And one of the comments that stuck with me and was the reason why I said to Janice, we are not taking these report cards back to, to Vancouver, it said this, Glenn has all the potential in the world if he would only, anybody get this one, apply himself, right? And I was like, okay, all right, anyway. That's my mom. She was lovely. But that's actually where we're at here today. That, that's what Revelation 2 is today. These are report cards from the mouth of Jesus 35 years after these churches, for the most part, have all been planted about the church. These are report cards. And, and they come with letter grades, as we're going to see today. I hope you'll see today. And they come with comments. One specific comment today. So the good news for the church in Ephesus here today is there were a lot of A-pluses that I want to show you today. They got a lot of A-pluses. So a little context is going to be helpful for us. So the church in Ephesus was an interesting church. The way it got started was really, really interesting. The Apostle Paul was one of, on one of his first missionary trips, I believe, and, and he had a couple with him who were fellow tanners. They were in the tent-making uh, business. They were tanners, though, that, and, and that was Aquila and Priscilla. And when they got to Ephesus, Paul wanted to keep going. Um, they thought this was a good cosmopolitan area to maybe start uh, a tannery business. And so Paul left Aquila and Priscilla there, and that's what they did. They, they, they began their business um, uh, on the, just on, on the downtown area of modern, uh, what Ephesus was in that day. And I, I can say that because, as I'll mention later, Janice and I went there a few years ago, and we saw the areas where the commerce was in the ruins of the city of Ephesus. Well, they were there for a little bit, and they, of course, shared what they knew at that point that Paul had told them about Jesus, certainly about his own personal conversion and experience with Jesus. Well, a few years later, Paul comes back through Ephesus, and he runs into some of these, quote, disciples who had learned about Jesus, but he asks them a question. Were you baptized with the Holy Spirit at that time when you, when you started following Jesus? And they said, no, no, we only know the baptism of John the Baptist. And so Paul laid hands on them, 
and uh, they came to faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They began speaking in tongues. Some of you really love that part. And the church literally, that's literally when the church began. And Paul stayed a couple of years, actually, in Ephesus, teaching and, uh, and preaching in the hall of Tyrannus, and proclaiming the gospel and teaching about the kingdom of God for two full years. And the church grew and blossomed under his apostleship at that time. Well, years later, Paul, of course, sent in uh, some of his protégés. Actually, a very eloquent speaker by the name of Apollos came through town, and he was a pastor there for some years. And then, of course, the protégé of Paul, Timothy, became the apostle. And years later, and at the writing of the book of Revelation, the apostle John is the pastor in Ephesus. So chapter 1 introduces us to the background of the book of Revelation. Uh, the aging John is, is on the Isle of Patmos. That's about 500 kilometers off the coast of modern-day Turkey or where Ephesus was at that time. And so he's, we read in the first chapter that he's there on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. He's in the Spirit, so he's praying and he's reading the Word. And Jesus comes to him, and he's taken to heaven, and he's shown what's going to come in the future. So this is prophetic. It's also apocalyptic, as most of you know from the reading of the book of Revelation. But we read in Revelation 1, verses 17 and 19, Jesus speaking these words to John. And they're important for us to see them this morning. He says to John, I am. I am. The first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And then Jesus tells him to write, in chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So he starts, it's interesting, he starts and, you know, asking him to write to the church in Ephesus, which I think is beautiful because, as I said, John is likely, from history we believe, the, the pastor at this time in Ephesus. So he's like, Jesus says, John, I'll start with your church, okay? The, 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 the people that you pastor in Ephesus, let's start with them. Now, some people have, uh, and commentators have taken this angel to, to, to believe that it's actually a, an angelic being from, from uh, heaven, from the throne of God. Um, more likely, the actual Greek word speaks about a messenger, and, and the, the intention of it is that this is a human messenger. And so it, it would most likely be, we would believe, that these are pastors in the local churches. They're the ones who are going to be the ones reading this word. They're the angels of the churches in that area. And so, of course, also the symbolism of the seven stars and the lampstands lamp are referring to the seven churches in Asia Minor at that time in modern-day Turkey today. Now look with me at verse 2. This is where we get into the report card. It says in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. So, Right away, you need to see, I hope you will see, we need to see, it's very important. This is 35 years later, 
says the church was planted, and, and Jesus is saying, I know. <laughs> he knows what's going on right here in this room right now. He, he knows exactly what all of us are doing, thinking, he's observing, he's watching, he's been watching us since this church was planted 12 and a half years ago. He, he's watched them. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I think about that, and that's, it can be a bit frightening. It, it, it could also be something we should take to heart. Every thought, every deed, every lack of thought, every lack of deed. He knows. And yet, he deeply loves this church. And he deeply loves our church, I believe. And secondly, this is interesting, what he sees, he grades. <laughs> you know, now, and listen, when, when, when you're getting a report card from Jesus, my personal opinion is you should probably take it seriously. Like, he's probably right. 100% of the time, don't you think? I, I mean, if you were to get a report card from me or from Rudy or from one of the elders or from one of your brothers and sisters in Christ at the Rock Church, I mean, listen, I would feel the same way as you. I think I might be, I might, I might dispute some of the findings. You know, like I think I deserved an A, not a B minus, you know, or that comment's a little harsh. But coming from the lips of Jesus, I think we have to all admit he's completely right. 100% of the time. He says, I know you, and I know everything you've done. I've seen everything that you've done. So let's look at their first, I'm going to call it an A+. This is an A+, on their report card. It's right there in the verse that we saw. Their first A+, is for their very hard work. I put it that way because, again, of the, of the Greek, of the intention of the Greek. This is, this is the bottom line to this is they got their hands dirty. This wasn't easy believism. This wasn't go, I go to church and everybody else does the work and I just sit there and no. Very hard work on behalf of all of them. They got their hands dirty. It's beautiful that we see this from him. They worked and toiled, meaning they got their hands dirty and they, listen, look at, they endured with patience. They just kept at it all the time, every week, week after week. They kept at it. Despite from time to time, I'm sure, like you and I have from time to time in the last 12 and a half years, thought, hey, hey, pastor, nice that you got a sabbatical. How about me? Well, that's fair. That's fair. You can apply for one. You should. Their second day plus is wonderful. But listen, and look what it says. He gives them an A plus for not tolerating evil. One of the things that I learned when I was on, and we'll get into it maybe in the next few weeks, when I was on my sabbatical listening to one particular book is, I learned something about something that uh, I'll get into again later, but I'm not sure that most of us in the church are fully aware on a daily basis of the spirit world. I'm not sure we, we are fully aware on a daily basis that there is a demonic spirit world, and yet, thankfully, there is the kingdom of light. <laughs> There is Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father who are active. And so, so Jesus is making it really clear here. I'm giving you an A plus for not tolerating evil. Why? Because it exists. And Jesus sees it. And, and he sees it in the church. And it's not just the evil. This is where it gets even tougher, church. He says, I'm giving you an A plus for not tolerating those who are evil. 
He praises them for not tolerating such individuals. So Jesus also gives them praise, high marks, for their their own moral character, for their standing, for their discernment, and their willingness to test, to question what they're hearing, what they're seeing, what they're being told, what, what people are going, hey, come over here, listen to this, watch this podcast, read this book. And they're going, fine, but we're going to test it. With what? The Word of God. And so again, Jesus is praising them. And, and, and he's, he says, in, in, your, in your testing, you have been able to discern people who have said they're apostles, which are, are sent ones. We're not talking the capital A-12 guys. We're talking about those people who are sent, who people who've come to the church saying, hey, you know, I've come here from another place where I learned this, and I, I just want to tell you about this. And they went, huh, huh, that's great. Let's get into it. They've tested these people and found them to be false. Jesus praises this on their part. He then adds a third A+. He says in verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. I would hope that when they heard this report card read, that this would have been their favorite A+. If if this is a, a report on the Rock Church and Jesus gave us that report, uh, uh, that as an A+, plus, I would, I would take that as the best. Because Jesus is essentially saying this again, I know this about you. And, and he's saying, despite the pressure to deny me, to shy away from who I am and, and what I have said and what I have done, to water down the gospel, no, no. You've put up with the ridicule, even the hatred, and you've done it for me. For my namesake. I don't know about you. At the end of the day, when I stand before him, I really want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Doesn't have to say much else. (laughs) I would love to hear those words. This is incredibly high praise. Is it not, church? Now, as all of my report cards did, Jesus now has a little comment (laughs) to give to the church. And here it is in verses 4 and 5. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you. I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So now, we need to imagine a little bit here, like imagine the day that John comes back to Ephesus, he calls the church together, or he goes to all of the home churches that were there in that day, and he, and he starts reading this letter to them. And at first they're like, A plus, we're so awesome. And then all of a sudden it's like, ouch. Ouch. It is about applying oneself, isn't it? I think that's what he's getting at here. Ah, so yeah, John is the one, I think, who probably read this. And, and here's the thing. I, I think I, I knew when my mother would go over my report cards with me after they would come, I, I knew there were going to be some comments. Because here's the thing. I, I knew, I mean, I, I'm fairly honest with my mom because she would look me in the eye. And I had no choice because she saw right through me. Uh, but I knew that there was going to be a comment because here's the thing I also knew. I knew I was slipping. 
I knew my marks were going down, and I knew they were going down for a reason. I knew I wasn't applying myself. I knew I was getting distracted. I fully knew that. And so I believe also that the church in Ephesus, when they heard these words, I don't think most of them were going, hey, wait a second. No, I, I think most of them were probably going, yeah, you know what? This is truth. So these things that Jesus said he knows about them are actually in the past tense, if you look at it again in this verse. He implies that when he encourages them to what? To remember. So he says, now I want you to go back. Remember how it all started? The the words at first are used a couple of times there. It's really important. And and this is what's going to help us understand what it means that they've abandoned the love that they had at first. Now, so of course, some commentators and preachers, I've heard it many, many, many times in my Christian life. They, they basically just want to simplify it and just say to you, all that uh, Jesus wants to get across is, you've abandoned your love for me. Just get back to that. I feel that's too simplistic. It's true. I, I feel it's too simplistic because then we could personalize, individualize that and say, well, well, sure, I just need more devotion time with Jesus and I just make sure that I'm good with Jesus. And, and there's actually a lot more implied here. It's way too simplistic. And we see it in relation to these at firsts, right? He, he says at first, and he says it twice, the first is uh, related to the love that they had at first. And then for what? Look what it says. The love for the works that they did at first. And so Jesus says, remember how you love to do the works that you did at first. You loved the work, the toil, the, the, the getting your hands dirty. You loved testing false teachers and false prophets. You, you loved it. You loved doing it together as the church. You supported each other in that. Friends, this is exactly the way it's supposed to be in the church. And yes, of course, of course, it, it has to begin out of a deep love for Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross in your place and for your sins, for my sins. It's got to start there. But out of that, out of that, it flows into this koinonia love that we have for one another. And the command of Jesus that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and you love one another. You love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, out of that, out of that love for one another, this is this passion to, to share Jesus with everyone else that we come in contact with uh, through our blood-bought family to do the work. We toil, we endure, we hold fast to the truth of God's Word, we go and make disciples, and, and we do it all with a great joy and passion in our hearts. Amen? Sermon's over, right? That's the idea. That's why I wanted the 10th anniversary video played today. Church, I want us to remember. I want you to remember the love that we have for one another in this church. It's precious. You heard it in the video, repeated over and over again. There's something really special here. We're not better than any other church. Well, we got, we've got our problems. But there's something very special about this church. And friends, I want to implore you. I want to encourage you. We must protect the deposit that has been given to us.
by the Holy Spirit. So wait, there's actually one more A+. And it's in verse 6. Jesus has given them this comment, which is, it, it's got to, come on, but it's, it's good, it's truth. And then he says, yet, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So, big question, what do we have here? What's going on here? I mean, first of all, Jesus is giving them an A-plus for hating something, and he's confirming it with, I also hate this. So, we don't learn too much from Scripture about who these Nicolaitans are. They appear in another one of the letters to one of the churches coming up. And so we know that they had something to do with some Old Testament idol worship that is live and well in Ephesus in this day. But actually, there are a number of things we can learn about them. And in a nutshell, they were this. They were a Christian sect, in name anyway, who attempted to influence all of the churches in Asia Minor. So they were some of these false apostles and false teachers... And so, what did they teach? Well, essentially, they were very liberal progressive. <laughs> now, you hear those words, some of you are like, oh, well, hang on a second, that's, that's 2020, 2021 language. Hey, friends, it's Ephesus. It's Ephesus. That's what this city was all about. And so they were, they were being heavily influenced by the Ephesian culture, which was very liberal, very progressive, and specifically in this way, sexually immoral. Ephesus had as its leading and number one idol a goddess, a feminine idol. Her name was Artemis in the Greek, or we know her better some, in some places by her Roman name, Diana. Now, the primary ways that you, you appeased or you worshipped Artemis was to, of course, give alms and offerings to the temple, to her temple. But, but how did you specifically do that? By giving an alm or an offering to the temple prostitutes who you had sex with. So Nicolaitans were people who were guilty of two things, but primarily this. They were guilty of saying, listen, you can be a Christian. You can follow Jesus. You can, you can be born again. You can trust Jesus. But you know what? This, these things about the culture, and by the way, eating meat that's sacrificed to idols as well, which was the whole thing about Balak and Balaam, and it's okay. You're forgiven. You can do this. This is what they taught. Jesus says, I hate this. I hate it. And he gave, that gave them an A+. Plus. Please see this. Please see this. For hating the works, not the people. That's really important for us to see. So in conclusion this morning, let me ask a couple of key questions. <laughs> First question is this. What do you think caused the church in Ephesus to begin to lose heart, to begin to lose heart, to, to abandon this first love that they had. Uh, friends, I, I, I want to suggest to you it's for the same reasons that that could happen to you, to me, to us as a church here in Squamish. It's for the exact same reasons. I, I remember really well 
what it was like 12 and a half years ago. I remember loading up our truck in our garage with all of the PA and the gear and other people would be loading up stuff for Kids Rock and Cafe and all the rest of it and we would haul it all over to uh, Eagle Eye Community Theater and, and, and man, there was like 10, no, there was more than 20, 30 of us, all hands, everybody serving, everybody unloading, everybody doing setup, everybody doing takedown. It was awesome. We loved it. Then we got a little tired. It, it, it can move from the passion and the love. And listen, this is what people who are far from God, when they see the church doing that, that's also how we see, they see us loving Jesus and loving one another. By, by, by doing that on a Sunday morning or in missional community group or in other ways that we serve in our community, that we're, we're just passionately about doing the work. And about the toil, I remember it so well, guys. I really do. So many people giving and giving and giving. But over time, this can go from a passion to an obligation. It can, be, it can feel, well, far from joyful. So that's something that I'm concerned about, but I still understand. But there's one more thing that may happen if we're not on guard. Let's be really clear. The enemy does not like churches that get A pluses from Jesus Christ. Does he? <laughs> no, he doesn't. And, and I'll tell you what, neither does the culture. The, the culture all around them and all around us is saying, wait a second, what do you believe? What's on your confession of faith on your website? What? Seriously? Truth is, you and I know it, we will face criticism. We will face ridicule. We will face cancel culture. Oh, yes, we will. Some of us, as a result of that, may become fearful of the persecution, and that can lead to both questioning what actually God's Word says is true and or letting the culture be salt and light to the church rather than the other way around. This can be very discouraging and can cause us to lose heart. Uh, the reason why I'm preaching on May 9th after my sabbatical and not May 2nd is because I asked the elders, um, I, I, I would prefer not to speak on the 2nd because last Saturday I had to attend an AGM meeting of our provincial denomination and um, it was on Zoom, and there were several hundred of us there. And the reason why I, I felt I needed to be part of that was because there was a recommendation being put to the, 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 the delegates of our denomination, which I am a delegate for our church, to vote on that was pretty serious. And there was going to be some comment and so forth about it, and so I was there. And uh, it was very, very challenging. I won't get into all the details, but at the end of the day, after four years of our denominational leadership in British Columbia, working with a specific church in Vancouver, and, and trying to work them back from the position they were moving towards, they decided in January of this year to uh, put out a statement as a church uh, that is in complete um, um, disregard and uh, separate from our confession of faith uh, as a denomination when it comes to marriage between a man and a woman and decided to become a fully affirming church of gay and lesbian lifestyles and marriage. 
And so last Saturday, the vote was to re release them from membership in our denomination, and that's what happened. Friends, this has been coming for a while, uh, not just with this one church, but it's coming. And it was very hard. It was very hard to be part of that. And so I share that with you because the pressure's there. It's only going to mount, in my opinion, from what I can see. So the second question is this. How did the church in Ephesus respond, do you think, when they got this letter and this warning from Jesus? Well, we know from history that it seems that they did take it to heart for a time. The church continued to grow and flourish, we would suspect, for probably another 50, 60 years before they really started to lose heart. And eventually their lampstand not only flickered, but completely went out. Six years ago, Janice and I visited Turkey and we went to the site, the ruins of Ephesus. That's all that's there, including, thankfully, the ruins of the temple to Artemis. But one thing that's there that I stood outside of and uh, got a little bit emotional uh, was the tomb of the Apostle John. Is right there. And it was pretty special to be there. So let me ask you a question as we go to a close this morning, and I want to encourage you about re-engagement. Can I just ask you this question? Maybe, maybe it's the question you want to be asking yourself this week and in community group this week. Honestly speaking, if Jesus was to give you a report card today, what would it look like? What would the letter grades be? And realistically, you know, what might his comments be? I, I think we all should want to know, individually, but also as a church. And so let me encourage you as we close this morning. I, I was... Uh, forwarded an article a few days ago, and I was trying to think about, okay, I, I, I'll, I want to ask us all right now to just to do this. As we're all getting shots in arms uh, over the next several months, amen, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. But, but also, like, let's pray that the Lord would give us a shot in the heart too, right? And that we would get re-engaged again, really re-engaged. And we can, we can start that today, we really can. And so what I don't want you to hear from me is I don't want you to hear, okay, oh, we got we to gotta work harder, we got to do more. Yes and no. I uh, was passed on an article uh, this past week from Pastor um, Kevin Makins. He wrote an article in Faith Today Canada, and it was titled, Does Church Still Matter Even in a Pandemic? I love what he wrote. I can't say it any better than he can, or he did. So I'm just going to read what he said, and I'd like you to take it to heart, because this is how I feel about today and going forward with all of you. He said this, In many ways, our church felt like a potluck. So he's talking about pre-COVID, right? Which I've long argued should be an official church sacrament. Amen, I like that idea. At a potluck, each one of us brings what we can, even if we can't bring much. Some help with setup and dishes, others keep the food warm and make gluten-free labels. <laughs> that happens a lot in Squamish and at the Rock, right? The tasting notes completely clash, and a child might even steal food right off your plate. It's messy, and none of it is done particularly well. Now, I love this because that's our mission community groups. At least they were our mission community groups. We get together and we break bread together. We have food. We have dinner together. And sometimes it's an eclectic mix of amazing Asian and this and that and whatever food, and it's awesome. I can't wait to get back to that as part of what we do. He then says these words in conclusion. He says, but... 
in an act of divine alchemy, the Spirit receives our hodgepodge piecemeal offering and turns it into a feast of victory. This act of grace is what I long for everyone to experience. To belong to a local family of people, shaping their ordinary lives around Christ and His table, transformed together from something imperfect and incomplete into something uniquely whole and holy. Holy. I love that. And church, I love you and I love us. Pray with me, would you?